Welcome to the ministry of Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray this message by Pastor John Roberts is a blessing to you. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. We went, Gina and I went this past week back to Rama for Winter Bible Seminar. And we, we lived in Tulsa for two years. And believe me, for me to live in Tulsa, it has to be God. I, I remember coming back from, from Broken Arrow after, right at the end of our stay there. And we were coming through I-64 down in southern Indiana, going to, I think, to visit Gina's mom. And um, there's a sign down there about the Hoosier National Forest. And my son asked me, he said, Dad, what's a Hoosier? And I said, well, you're a Hoosier. He said, well, I thought I was an Okie. And I turned, it's like, I said, no, dear God, no, you're not an Okie. And he said, well, don't we live in Oklahoma? I said, no, we've been visiting for two years, but we don't live there. Well, that kind of, you know, that was my attitude towards the, the, the place. I never was in love with that city. It's windy. It's either cold or hot. There's no in-between. And, you know, they brag, they call it green country. There's nothing green about it unless you live in west Oklahoma or west Texas. Then it looks green. But if you're from especially southern Indiana, eastern Kentucky, it's like this, this place is just ugly. But going back there this week, it was like going home. It, it, it had been 13 years since Gina and I had been there, and it was so refreshing. But even more than that, the week, we took the opportunity to go the weekend before to go visit our son. And if you know anything about, about my son, he was, went to Purdue, which, you know, as an IU grad... That was a, a difficult time for me when he went to Purdue. Um, although it's a good school, you know. <clears throat> I didn't choke real bad when I said that, but <laughs> it still comes out a little hard. But, but he went there, he, he wanted to be an engineer, and he trained as an engineer. And had a good job. Went to San Antonio, was an engineer down there got involved with this church. His pastor came to him two years ago and said, I really want you to come on staff. And Gina and I have known for years, and, and we never, we would talk to our kids about the things of God when they were little, but when they became adults, if they asked, we would talk. If they didn't ask, I butt out. I'm not their Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know who that's for, but take heart. When your kids are raised, when they're grown, they're grown. Quit bossing them. Quit telling them what to do. Pray for them. Pray for God to deal with them. But when he came and told us, I'm going to leave my job making well into six figures, and I'm going to become an associate pastor in this church. Well, I feared for him for a couple of reasons. I knew his finances were going to drop appreciably. I know the heartache that pastoring brings, and, and I, I pray for him. But this weekend, 
I got to, to sit in on some meetings that he had. He, he's in charge of all their small groups and all of their missions work. And I got to sit in and watch him interact with other adults. And I tell you, it brought tears to my eyes to see, because in my mind, it's just this little bitty squirt that used to run around with me. And here's this grown man dealing with people and the wisdom that came out of his mouth. I mean, I'm proud of him. He could be a bank robber. I'd be proud of him and love him because he's mine. I don't care. I mean, and, and I think sometimes we have this impression of God's opinion of us changes from day to day by how we behave. I can tell you as a dad, I don't care how my kids behave. Well, I do care how they behave. But that doesn't affect how I feel about my kids. I love them. I'll support them. I will be there for them. I don't care how bad they behave. I'm there for them. And they're always welcome in my home. And God, if I, the sinner that I am, can have that view of my kids, how much more does our Heavenly Father look down on us and say, why do you think I'm mad at you? Why do you think I have a problem with you? I may not particularly be enjoying what you're doing right now, but I still love you. I've still made a way out. Amen? But, but I'm getting far afield. If you know me, I love to chase squirrels. I, I, they run by me and suddenly I'm off somewhere. But I was thinking about Billy Graham. My mom and dad were, well, my dad was raised Catholic. My mom was raised um, Southern Baptist, but she, she was in a very dysfunctional home uh, to the point where she went to high school with the half-sister of her dad's common-law wife while he was still married to her mother. Now, you can imagine being Harlan County, Kentucky, and we're talking small town. And your dad's married to your mom and has 10 kids, and yet he's got a girlfriend on the side that he has a second family with, and everybody knows it, and you're in the same class with this girl. That brings a lot of shame. So my mom was raised in church, but really wasn't churched, if you know what I mean. But my mom and dad, in the early 50s, got saved and a Billy Graham crusade. He came to Louisville, where they were living. They went, they went forward, they got saved. In fact, I remember as a kid, we would occasionally, you know, the box of old pictures would come out, and I'd see these pictures, and there's holes in them. And I'm thinking, why in the world would somebody cut a hole in a snapshot? And it was my mom had taken a little exacto knife or a razor blade. I don't know what she used. But there were pictures of her and my dad out with their friends, and there's beer on the table. And she went through every picture. If there was a beer bottle in the picture, she cut that beer bottle out and threw it away. She didn't want anybody to know that she used to drink beer. Same thing with my dad. And, and you know, you'd see dad standing in a picture, and he's just standing there, and his hand's missing. It was because he smoked. And she'd go through and cut the hand off that had the cigarette in it. She, was, she didn't want anybody to know that he smoked and that they both drank beer. 
And, and I look back and I kind of laugh about it because, you know, sometimes that part of your testimony is great. I got delivered from this. But I never knew that side of them. I never, the only thing I ever knew was Sunday morning you were in church. Sunday night you were at church. Wednesday night you were at church. Saturday morning you were probably at the church cleaning. That's all I ever, that's all I knew growing up. But I, I look, I had a similar experience with my son. When I felt called to the ministry, I went to Southern Seminary, had a horrible experience, left, and, and met, um, God directed it, met my old college chemistry professor. He was pastoring a church. And all I remembered about him was he was the best teacher I ever had. He made me fall in love with organic chemistry, which, wow, I mean, that's, that's an anointing. <laughs> but I remember him telling the stories when he was working his way through to get his Ph.D. He would make um, um, side money by running a still out of his lab, and he sold moonshine to all of the graduate students. And this is all I remembered, other than how I loved him as a teacher. I remember this guy telling stories in class about his moonshine days. And I go, Gina and I go to a, a um, it was a New Year's Eve concert with Phil Driscoll over the satellite. And I walk in and here's my chemistry professor that I know is a moonshiner standing in the pulpit. And I'm thinking, oh my Lord, Rod Buxton got saved. God saved me. There's, there is no limit to God's grace. If he could save the two of us, believe me, his grace is powerful. But I said all that to say, I had quit teaching. I was determined I'm going to get my Master of Divinity at Southern Seminary. It didn't last. I can't go get a job. I'm a teacher. It's the middle of the year. So I went and sat down with him. Well, he had a a training center that they had started, and they had a satellite school. And Saturday morning, we sat in class for four hours over satellite. It was a church in Texas that broadcast over satellite. And I sat under Charles Capps, Marilyn Hickey, um, gosh, Pastor Bob Yandian, who was my pastor in Tulsa, four, five, six, eight different good teachers and my son, every Saturday morning, and I, I always told myself, he just really wanted to be with me. I think it may have been the donuts that he got to get when he got there. But he would go with me on Saturday morning and sit beside me while I'm taking classes. And he would sit there and draw, listen, draw, read, eat his donuts, whatever. But, but he grew up with that. That was a byproduct of Billy Graham. My parents got saved. They raised me in church. Now, I ran away from it. I, I've joked with Matt, my son-in-law. We, we had very different experiences. I grew up in the Baptist church. Eternal security was preached hard. But it, you, you pretty much, you just you get saved and then you live the best you can. God's, he'll help you. Sometimes you never know what God will do. But if you're having problems, then you come forward and you rededicate your life. Well, I rededicated my life. I can't count the number of times from 8 years old to 17. And at 17, I said, I quit. 
And I ran off into the world. And God just, he bugged me for 12 years till I finally came back. Matt grew up in Assemblies of God. Different terminology, same thing though. You got saved, but if you had problems or you sinned, then the next time you come to church, you come down the altar and you get saved again. And Matt's testimony was he got saved hundreds of times. Went to Bible school, got saved every service. They were in the middle of revival in Brownsville, and he said, you'd, you'd have a bad thought, and you went down and got saved again. The result was the same. You had no confidence in who you were in Christ. You had no confidence that you could actually defeat the devil, that you could live in victory. In fact, I was raised that, that half the bad things that happened in your life, that was God probably trying to teach you something. So I was angry at God most of the time because it's, why are you doing this to me? Nobody ever bothered to show me John 10.10. And I know you've heard me talk about John 10.10. It's because it changed my life. I finally figured out that there is an enemy. It's not all just God. We have an enemy. He's out to kill, to steal, to destroy. But I still, I had that legacy. The whole time I'm out there, I know my answer's in church. I know my answer's in church. And when I finally got tired of running into that brick wall, and I was flat-faced, believe me. I, my face was just, I had brick imprint from years of just running into that wall, running into that wall, running into that wall. And I finally backed up and thought, maybe mom and dad had something. They knew something I didn't. And I went back to church, and God led me to where I am today. It's not, it's not been a, a, a straight shot. It's been a lot of curves, a lot of ditches. But God has been faithful but it was that legacy. It started for my family with Billy Graham. Now, if you back it up, and I, I, I heard the guy's name and I've forgotten it now, the man that led Billy Graham to the Lord. But somebody led him to the Lord. And somebody led him to the Lord. And you can back it all the way up to the disciples because the message started there. And it's been preached for 2,000 years. We're all a product of somebody's legacy. And whether you believe it or not, you're leaving a legacy. Good, bad, in the middle, indifferent, you have a legacy. And you are making an impact on somebody somewhere. But I, I was thinking about it, and I want, real briefly... Look in Ephesians chapter 3. This is Paul. Of course, Paul's probably the, in Christian circles, the greatest minister to ever walk the face of the earth. The man walked in more revelation. He, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He just had a revelation of who, who Jesus was and who he was in Christ that we're still living off of today. But in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul prayed this prayer, and starting in verse 14. And I'm going to read it out of the New King James. He says, For this reason I bow my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. The, the, the quote that's in the bulletin this morning, Billy Graham said, someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? His body died this week. He's not dead. Now, I, I do have a little, he said, I shall be more alive than I am now. I will just have changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. If I could make an addendum to that, he was already in the presence of God. Paul said in here in Ephesians that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Billy Graham just has a total and complete revelation of where he already was. That's why, you know, and you can, there, there are different degrees of, of, of eternal security versus, you know, you can lose your salvation just because you sin a little bit, you have a bad thought. There is every degree in between of those two positions. But when you come down to it, if I'm born again, I am seated with Him. I've sat down with Him. That's where I am. My body's here, and I'm not, I don't have a full revelation of being seated with Him. Now, the more you study it, the greater your revelation will be. But it's not near as great as it's going to be when you step out of your body. Paul even said in, in the, one of the letters to the Corinthians, when he talked about when God called him up to heaven, he said, I don't know if I was in my body or out of my body. I just know I was in the presence of God. Well, you can get so caught up that you don't know that you even have a body. But we're already there. Notice, verse, end of verse 14. We bow our knee before the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. We're part of that family. and we're our, I do have a name. My name is John. My mama named me. Not my daddy. My mama named me. She picked my name out. She picked the spelling out. And... She decided that you're going to be John Patrick. No H in the John, no K on the Patrick, which was traumatic when I was in the first grade, and my teacher decided that I didn't know how to spell my name. And I said, yes, I do, and she wouldn't let me spell it correctly. And my, after we did first names one week, Mama came and talked to her. Next week we did middle names, and I, she spelled it, printed it out, P-A-T-R-I-C-K. And I said, I don't have a K. He said, honey, you put it down however you want it to put it down. But if you look, and I don't have my wallet on me, you look in my wallet, I have a driver's license. It has my name, my full name, my full given name on it. But that's not me. That's not my name. My real name is written in heaven. When, when I know that name, as well as I know the name on my driver's license, then I can start being useful for the kingdom. When that becomes more real than what my driver's license says, and it is more real, it's eternal. This is temporary. 
Now, I, I, I pray God when we, when we get to heaven, there's going to be cars, because I really want to drive a car 200 miles an hour, just to feel what that's like. So I'm praying, God, that we'll have some, some cars, and we'll have some jet airplanes, so I can fly 10 feet off the ground at, you know, Mach 3. Now, when I get there, you know, I probably won't care if they're not. But who knows, I may be able to f- fly Mach 3 without a plane, you know. That would be even more of a thrill, you know. I, I'm, I'm hoping that back then, or when I get there, I'm going to have some hair so I can just blow the hair back. But, you know, one of the ministers this week said, God knows he has counted all the hairs on your head. And my wife turned and looked at me, and I, I, she didn't say anything, but I knew what she was thinking. He doesn't have to count very high with you. But there's going to be a time when that's not true. It's all going to come back. Full head of hair, all nice brown color like it used to be. But I, I am named in that family. Billy Graham's in the presence of God, so am I. No more different than him, other than he fully left his body behind, and I haven't quite left my body behind. But let's go on to verse um, 16. This is Paul's prayer, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with all might through his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Notice he doesn't say that Christ may come into your heart. Jesus doesn't want to just come into your heart. He wants to dwell in your heart. There is a difference. And I know, because I have, I've heard all the criticisms from both sides, but I know one of the criticisms of eternal security is, well, if you believe in eternal security, that's just, you can live any way you want and still say you're saved. Well, if you're trying to live any way you want and say I'm saved, you're probably not saved. Because when you really have the infilling of the Spirit, you want to live right. You want to walk right. You want to serve God. And when, when, when you get off that path, you know it. Your heart knows that it's not correct. Amen? That's the indwelling of Christ. He wants to be for you to be aware of Him every part of your day. I heard somebody years ago, and, and, and I'm a Reformed smoker. It's been 34 years since I had a cigarette. But I heard a guy give his testimony about how he quit. It was the hardest thing I ever did, bar none. The absolute hardest habit I've ever had to break was smoking cigarettes. It had me, I mean, it had me hooked hard. But this guy gave his testimony, and he got it from his pastor, and he said, I want to quit. He said, pray for me, that God will deliver me. And he said, well, I don't know that there's a quick answer. I'll pray for you, and God may deliver you instantly, but you may have to walk this out. He said, but I will tell you this, every time you light up a cigarette, you take your lighter, and when you light it, you say, God, I'm doing this for your glory. And he said it wasn't too long. That he kept, every time he did it, he felt convicted. I'm not glorifying God, and I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to condemn anybody for smoking. I'm saying that being conscious of Christ in you will purify your behavior. 
You can't do, you can't live a wrong lifestyle when you know who you are in Christ and you have the awareness, the conscious awareness that Jesus is with me right now. It's hard to fuss and fight with someone if you are aware that Jesus Christ, the peacemaker, is right there in your presence. It will pull you up short. Let's go on. Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints. So this is something Paul wants all of us to know. What is the width and length and depth and height? And to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. I love that. Being a science teacher, there are three dimensions. There's height, there's width, and there's depth. There's not four. But why does Paul list four? Because this knowledge is supernatural knowledge. It goes beyond what you can touch and feel and taste and experience. There's a supernatural dimension that God wants you to have this supernatural comprehension of who Christ is in you. That's why Billy Graham preached the simple message of get saved. Now, had he been a pastor, he probably would have had to preach more than that. Because the pastor has to deal with sheep. He had the ministry of an, evan- of an evangelist. And his ministry, and that's the, that was the great thing about Billy Graham. He knew what his calling was, but he also knew what his calling was not. And he stayed in his lane. And God gave him a commission, and he did his commission. And he never wavered. He kept preaching it and kept preaching it. Now, my experience was a little different than Dean's. I've heard lots of criticisms about Billy Graham. Billy Graham was too liberal, denied the gospel. I remember during uh, um, the Reagan administration, um, Gorbachev was, you had perestroika going on, and, and Billy Graham actually got to go to the Soviet Union and preach an open air convention. And in that convention, he told the Russian people to pray for your leaders. And oh, my Lord, you would have thought he cussed in the pulpit. I mean, the people read him down. He gave scripture. Paul says, pray for those, your leaders. Pray for kings and all those in authority. He didn't say pray for the ones that are good and you like. He said pray for all of them. And my rule, and this is just my rule, you can pray about it, the more I dislike the leader, the more I have to pray for him. That's why Jesus said, pray for those that despitefully use you. Well, if I have to pray for those that persecute me and despitefully use me, how much more should I pray for those that are in authority over me? you got a horrible boss at work, pray for him. You're going to have a hard time talking bad about him if you pray for him. You have, you know, whatever the leadership role, we're called to pray for them. Amen? Billy Graham preached it. He preached, get saved, but he also preached, pray for people, walk in love. And he just preached it and preached it and preached it. He, it was the message was all the same. In fact, sometimes he, I'm, I'm sure he got criticized because he wouldn't change his message. They're like, brother, you need to go on and and, and, you know, take the next step. Preach a little more depth. 
I, 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 I grew up, Brother Hagin changed my life, dramatically changed my life. But from the time God gave his commission to go teach my people faith, he never changed. And the people constantly bugged him, tell us more, get into some deeper things. And he always had the same response. As soon as you get this, I'll move on. Guess what? 50 years of ministry, they never got it. He never could move on to deeper things because, for one thing, it was different crowds. We're having new Christians all the time. But he preached what God gave him to preach. That's the message. It, the message is, I want you to be a part of it. For us, you're there in Ephesians 3, go over to Ephesians 5. Let's start in um, verse 15. Well, stay there in 15, but let me just read verse 1 of Ephesians 5. Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. Part of our legacy with our children is they imitate us. Good or bad, they imitate us. Well, if God is my Father, I ought to be imitating Him. I ought to be walking like Him, talking like Him. Verse 15, Paul said, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. We look and, and we look around our world and we say, God, our, you know, our country, our nation, our world is going to hell in a handbasket. It's just getting worse and worse and worse and worse. Well, <coughs> in my lifetime, it has gotten worse. But believe me, we haven't even begun to touch the depravity of the Roman Empire or the Middle Ages. I mean, nobody's flailing Christians with, with hooks. Nobody's putting, taking Christians and impaling them on, on stakes and watching them slowly die, as they did in the, the Roman arena. Nobody's feeding Christians to the lions, at least not in our country. Now, there are places where, where Christians are getting martyred quite regularly. I'm not disputing that. But for us, the American church, we've become so spoiled that we think, wow, we're just living under huge persecution. We've never seen persecution. We have never lived under persecution in this country. Now, I'm not, I'm not happy with the direction our country is going. But we don't have anything to complain about. And the only complaint is we're not on our knees enough or we'd have more of an effect on our country. Verse, where am I? 17. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be drunk with wine which is, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. That's the, the one I want to get into. Be filled. And, and, and if you look in the Greek, the tenses there, it really is, is a continuous action. A better translation would be, be continually filled and then refilled with the Spirit of God. And I've had people ask me, well, why do we have to be refilled? I was filled with the Spirit 30 years ago. I spoke in tongues. And I've asked some people, well, do, have you spoken in tongues lately? Well, no, I'm filled with the Spirit. No, you're not. And I know you're not because you are a leaky vessel. The world will get on you. 
That's why Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And when, when Peter protested, he said, No, Lord, if you're going to wash my feet, you've got to wash all of me. He said, Peter, you're clean, except for your feet. You're just walking in the dust. Your feet are dirty because that's just part of living in this world. Things will rub off on you. And if you're not constantly grabbing your brain and pulling it over and saying, No, God, fill me with your spirit. Get that trash out of my mind. You're not going to stay filled. It's a constant process that you have to do. That's where our legacy is. To be filled and then refilled and then refilled, constantly pulling yourself back. When the world, you feel the world tug, and you say, no, no, we'll get back in the Word. And the result is, and I'm going to quit with this. I know. I try not to lie, but I really am. If you look over at the book of Revelation, we're going to go to um, verse 11 of chapter 20. This is talking about the white throne judgment. There is going to be a judgment seat of Christ that we're going to be presented at. Now, there's debate amongst theologians. Do we go to the judgment seat of Christ immediately when we die? Or are we going to go to the judgment seat of Christ during the seven-year tribulation when we're in heaven doing the marriage supper of the Lamb? My personal belief is I think it's during the marriage supper of the Lamb. But I'm not, you know, I can't give you proof one way or the other. But it is different than this. The judgment seat of Christ, the Greek word there is the Bema seat. If you've watched any of the Olympics, which if you have, you're probably one of the few people because there haven't been a lot of people watching it. But at the end of, of every competition, they award a gold medal, a bronze medal, and a silver medal. That stand is called the Bema seat. That's where they go, because the, remember, the Olympics started in Greece, and when they got the award, and, and the original Olympics... You got the award by living. Your competition didn't get the award because they were dead. Same thing for us as Christians. You only make it to the Bema seat if you're alive, if you survive the competition. And you only do that through Christ. But when you get there, you're going to be rewarded for the deeds you do in the body after you become a Christian. There are rewards to get. Just being saved and being in heaven is a pretty good reward. You know, the old thing, the, the, the least saint in heaven is a heck of a lot better off than the greatest uh, sinner in hell. I don't care whether I get a lot of rewards other than I want to be pleasing to my Father. And from that standpoint, I want lots of rewards when I get there because I want to walk in obedience to what His call is on my life. And your rewards are not by being what a Billy Graham was. And let me just use Billy Graham as, and please do not take this as a criticism of him, because, well, I do know, and it's one of the reasons I respected him, someone, it's been 10 or 15 years ago, someone asked him, what do you think of what you've accomplished in your life and in your ministry? I was so impressed by his answer. He said, I was given so much and did so little. And I thought, that's a humble man. 
He knows he could have done more. I, I, I just watched again. Uh, we were sitting around the hotel, motel, getting ready to go to a service, and I just flipped on the TV, and they had the um, the movie on about the um, the guy in Desmond Doss in um, Okinawa, and the whole thing that he did when he was rescuing all of those men that had been wounded, he was exhausted. But he kept saying, just give me one more, Lord. Let me get one more, Lord. Let me get one more, Lord. That needs to be our attitude towards life. Lord, I want one more. I want one more. I'll tell you, a couple years ago, I I sat down with with the Lord. March, in a month from now, I'm 20 years post-heart attack. Two months after the heart attack, my cardiologist sat down with me and he said, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but you're done. If you live 10 years, it'll be a miracle. You're never going to mow your grass again. You're never going to go back to work again. You have destroyed the entire front wall of your heart, and it's going to collapse, and it's going to collapse within a decade. That was 20 years ago. And I told the Lord two years ago, I want, I want 20 more years. I, want, I don't want 20 years of life. I want 20 more years of ministry. I want to be able to stand in a pulpit at least to the age of 85 and preach with conviction. Now, I'll leave it in his hands, but I've already put the demand in front of him. I haven't accomplished anything that I desired, and I haven't done half of what he wanted me to do. Uh, If Billy Graham can say I did so little with so much, how much more for me? And I want time to make up for lost opportunities in the past. But the Bama seat is one thing. The ultimate judgment is right here in in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. And, And Pastor Chuck led us through that confession today. But this is where we're ultimately going to be standing. And, and this week, because Rhema, they come out of Pentecostal heritage, and one of the, the heritages, of, heritages of Pentecostalism was they plead the blood. And I, I came through a time where I heard you know, several messages from several different people about pleading the blood. There's no, there's no uh, scriptural basis for pleading the blood. And so I looked, and there's not. You can't find any place in there where it talks about bleeding the blood. But that's just semantics. Someone mentioned this week, when you talk about pleading the blood, basically what you're saying is, I'm having faith in the blood of Jesus. It's just a different way of expressing it. But it came from that legal aspect of standing before a judge, and you've got a prosecuting attorney who's bringing charges against you. And you have a defense attorney, and the very initial part of any court proceeding, the judge is going to look at you and say, how do you plead? Guilty, not guilty. That's what this is right here. This is the court of heaven. This is the final judgment. God the Father is sitting on the throne, and He's bringing all mankind before Him, and He's saying, you tell me why you're going to get to go in, because... Verse 20, um, 20, or chapter 21 talks about the new heaven and the new earth. We're about to go into all eternity. You tell me why you should go into all eternity 
or into the lake of fire with the devil. You tell me why. And every one of us is going to have to stand there. Verse 11. This is John. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven flew, fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books, notice it's plural, books were opened, and another book singular was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books, plural. There are going to be two groups of people standing in at that throne. There's going to be the sheep and there's going to be the goats. And when God says, you defend yourself, the goats are going to say, see those books right there? I got lots of good things that I did. Look at the good things I did. And they're going to list them. One after another, after another, after another, after another, after another. And some of them are going to have a lot of good works. And I don't know the eternal state of any of these people, but, but let me just give you a few examples. Mahatma Gandhi. The man brought an entire nation out of slavery to the British Empire in a nonviolent way. Lots of good works. And said publicly, that's why I use his, him as an example, said publicly, if I've ever met a Christian, I would have thought to be one. But I've never met anybody that lived up to what the Bible says a Christian should be. Well, that's a horrible testimony about the church that he was around. But if, he's, if, if that was his opinion when he died, he's going to be standing there and he's going to say, he may have volumes. He could have volumes. But at the end of it, it's not going to be enough. Because God requires perfection. When after all of those goats are judged by their good works and they're all found wanting, he's going to turn to us. And he say, why should you go into this heaven? And there's only one plea. I plead the blood of Jesus. And by the blood of Jesus, if you look in that book, my name's written in that book, of, the, the, the book of life. Well, why, how can you be in the book of life? Because I was a scoundrel. I was lost. I was blind. But I'm not lost now. I'm not blind now because the blood of Jesus delivered me out of that and delivered me into life. That's the only reason you're going to make it into the new heaven and the new earth because of what Jesus did. Billy Graham was a great man. I respect him. But he was just a man. Just a man. As fallen as any of us. But he preached about another man. He preached about a man who came and lived that perfect life. That was it. It's the only message the man ever had. I know a man named Jesus, and he wants to set you free. In fact, I, I looked it up this morning. The last message that Billy Graham ever gave, and it was in answer to, uh, he was still doing his newspaper column, just until recently. The last message that he ever gave was this. No matter what your problem is, if you and I could sit down and talk, I would want to tell you one great truth. God loves you. And He can make a difference in your life if 
you will let him. God loves you so much that he sent his son into the world to die for you and your sins. When we open our hearts to Christ, he forgives our sins and comes to live within us by his Holy Spirit. He also gives us strength for the present and hope for the future. This is the message of the gospel. This is the message you have read in this book referring to the Bible. It's all about Jesus. It's about who he is, who he was, who he is, and who he's going to be. He's unchanging. Before the foundation of the world, it's incredible to me. And I forget who the, who the author was, but they made this statement. God decided in his providence that he was going to put the fate of the entire human race into the hands of a man. We read Jesus was tempted in all ways like we were. He could have fallen. Now I've heard preaching that it was not possible because he was God incarnate. He could not have fallen. If he couldn't have fallen, it wasn't a temptation. I, 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 we all could have the temptation for gluttony. If I had surgery and they removed my esophagus, you can't tempt me with food because I can't eat. If Jesus could not have sinned and could not have fallen, he could not be tempted. And yet he was tempted, and he passed the test. Even him in the Garden of Gethsemane was tempted to call it all off. He said, Lord, if there is any other way, I don't want to do this. Nevertheless, your will be done, not mine. He was tempted to call it all off, and yet... He decided to go through it. And the cross was only the beginning. That was only the beginning. He paid every sin, physically, spiritually, materially. He gave it up, all of it. And even, in, in my mind, the greatest sacrifice ever made, he has confined himself to a human body for all eternity. For God... To say, I'm going to live in a body? I, I can't imagine that sacrifice. But then he, he went to heaven and he gave us the Holy Spirit. And he said, now you go in my name and you preach that truth. The question we have twofold today. First of all, are you in him? I know what we prayed, I know what we confessed, but I also know... I used to do door-to-door -door evangelism. I've had a lot of people that prayed the sinner's prayer with me, and they just did it so I'd get off their door no doorstep. They didn't mean it. You can say the words and not have them count. You have to mean it in your heart. And I want to leave that with us. Not only getting saved so that I make it to heaven, but getting saved so that you know right now you are in heaven. And that you can have that desire to live that out every day. 
Our job isn't to get to heaven. My job is not to live in such a way that I make heaven. My job is to live in such a way that I bring heaven to earth. Because I'm already with Him. Am I manifesting heaven for people? You read in, in, in Acts uh, chapter 3 about Peter and John when they went to the gate beautiful. They never prayed for that man that was lame. They were so convinced and so filled with the Spirit that when they saw that man, they said, You get up. Rise up and walk. And he did. And when people ask him about it, they said, don't think it's anything about us, guys. This happened, this was by the power of the name of Jesus. They knew where their power came from, but they knew that they had that power. Does that mean that they, that they never made mistakes? Lord, no. Paul even says, I had to rebuke Peter to his face. Paul had the first church split. He and Barnabas went off and and um, John Mark abandoned them, walked off. They got ready to go on their next, next missionary journey. Barnabas said, well, I want to bring John Mark along. And Paul said, no, he can't come. And Barnabas said, fine, I ain't going. And Paul said, that's great, I'll take Silas. And he went off, left Barnabas behind. Now later on, Paul writes, says, send John to me. Have him bring these things. Barnabas restored John Mark. Paul wrote him off. So don't think just because Paul had the greatest revelation that Paul was perfect. None of them did. But they lived attempting to live out who they were seated in heavenly places. They knew the God that lived on the inside of them. And He was greater than any challenge they faced. That's our second question. Our first is, did you mean it when you confessed that today? If you did, then rest assured, your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Now, the key is not to make it to heaven. The key is to realize, I'm already there. I need to get to heaven here. Because there's lots of people out there that need that message. There is a world out there that is going to hell. All you got to do is turn on the news if you got the stomach for it. They're all going to hell. And some of them are running there full speed. But you manifest the presence of God. You manifest the power of God and people will stop and they'll look at you. And they say, well, how, where did you get that? Then you can turn and say, let me introduce you to my friend. Let me introduce you to Jesus. Some of them may scoff, some of them may walk away. A lot of them will think you're crazy. You know, I, Gina and I found one thing in our life. Most of our relatives think we're crazy. Few know it. But when they have a problem, they call us. They don't call the brother-in-law and sister-in-law that are out partying and, 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 you know, enjoying the high life. They call us because they know we know how to get a hold of God. They know where their help is, and it's not us. Although you ask them, they'd say, oh, yeah, you're, you're Holy Joe's. They talk to me long enough, they'll realize I'm not a holy Joe, not even a holy John. I'm pretty unholy at times. But I do know a man named Jesus. And I do know where he lives. And I do talk to him. And I do pray to him. 
And I do know that when He anoints me, I can command things in His name and things will happen. They will happen. Why? Because He knows me too. He knows me better than I know me. I know who I am, but He knows me even better than I know me. Amen? Father, we come right now and, and we just lay our lives before You, Lord. I just pray, Father, for every person to know, to know that they know that they know that they know that the salvation is available first and foremost and that they know that they've partaken of that salvation and that they know who they are in Christ. And I pray, Father, for those of us that already know we're part of the body, help us to begin walking out that same spirit of excellence that Billy Graham lived before us. You have a mandate for each one of us. You have a congregation for each one of us. And I just pray, Father, that you give us the boldness to speak your word, to be instant in season and out of season, to, be, to have a word that's fit for the moment every time a moment is available, to not preach condemnation on people, Father, but to preach the message of grace. That Jesus came, He lived, He died, He delivered us. And that salvation is available to anyone that will call on Him. Whosoever will can call on His name. And He will save us, transform us, and at the end of our life we'll be like Brother Graham. We'll be fully aware of His presence. And we'll be in heaven with Him. I pray that today, Father. And I just want to open that invitation. I know we prayed it earlier. We confessed it. But if, if, if you need, if that was the first time you ever genuinely prayed that prayer, then come down here and let us pray with you and agree with you. If you need to be refilled, then I, the altars are open. Come, ask Him, tell Him, cry out to the Lord, God, I need you to fill me again. I need, you to, I need your anointing for today. I need your grace for today. And in the morning, that needs to be our first prayer again. Lord, give me the grace to face today. Speak to me and show me what I need to say, when I need to say it, and how I need to say it to make an impact for you. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has blessed you, we invite you to visit us in person at the corner of Highway 31 South and Southport Road, Indianapolis, Indiana, or visit us online at FCCIndianapolis.com.